Ulterior. Yo, what's up? What's good, everybody? So, this scene is coming off of what I would imagine or assume is the biggest release week for the year 2022. Um, so much came out, so much happened, and not all of it I'm going to even be able to get into. So, um, this episode is being broken up into two parts, and that's just because I didn't want to just pack eight records into one episode. I wanted these albums and single EP to kind of have their own spotlights and really be given their own time to breathe. So that's why this is happening in two separate parts. Um, there will also be no singles reviews for either of these episodes. There were singles and, you know, they're all big deals or a lot of them are big deals. Blink-182, Make Them Suffer, Black Bear or Water Parks featuring Black Bear. Those all happen. They're all great. Go check them out. But this time and space right now is for the records. So uh, this episode, the first installment of chapter 71, we're looking at the new records by Lorna Shore, Outline in Color, Varials, and We Came as Romans. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy part one of this two-part episode. So like I said, this will be broken up into two parts, and this first part, I want to go ahead and just get into what is being discussed right now, and the focus for this first portion will be on one of the most anticipated scene releases of the year, and pretty much the most anticipated deathcore release. Pain Remains by Lorna Shore. So the way this review will work is that I am going to divide it into three sections of sorts. So the first section is an analogy between this record and professional wrestling that I thought of a few days ago. The second portion is going to be the actual review of the record. And then the third section will be me explaining why I think Lorna Shore are one of the most important bands in the scene right now in the last few years, honestly. So for the pro wrestling analogy, and if this is all boring and you don't understand it, I apologize, but just let me let me cook for a second. So there is a wrestler by the name of Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, Nakamura is world-renowned, critically acclaimed. He came from New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is the biggest promotion out in Japan. And he had a very successful and impactful and influential career over there. Uh, you know, IWGP heavyweight champion, IWGP intercontinental champion, uh, classics with like Kota Ibushi, uh, just, you know, all around good performer, good worker. That doesn't mean he was the best though. In my personal opinion, a lot of his contemporaries at the time and then thereafter his exit from New Japan outclass him when it comes to in-ring performances. I do believe that talent like Okada, Tanahashi, Naito, Shingo, Ibushi, Ishii, Shibata, Switchblade, Omega, they 
kind of clear Nakamura in-ring wise. It doesn't really matter because Nakamura has such a a unique presence to him and the presentation of his character is so over the top that it almost makes up for his uh, underwhelming performances at times. Nakamura left New Japan in early 2016. He wrapped up his career over there at or around the time of Wrestle Kingdom 10, I believe it was, and came to America to sign with the WWE. His first match with WWE was at TakeOver Dallas against Sami Zayn, which is at the very least one of the greatest NXT matches of all time. If you were unfamiliar with Nakamura's work prior to that match and you watched it, you were blown away. You were like, holy shit, who is this guy? Like, what is this? I've never seen anything like this before. And even myself, somebody who was familiar with his work, I was so taken aback by that match because I was kind of used to Nakamura not really being like that caliber of a talent more often than not. And ever since then, his in-ring work has flatlined in a really, really big way, I believe. I don't think he's had a classic ever since that Sami Zayn match. Anybody who tries to say the series with AJ Styles in 2018 is a fucking cop. Those matches were not special, you know. It is what it is, though. It's not a big deal. He's had a great career in WWE. US Champion, Intercontinental Champion, Tag Team Champion, NXT Champion. He's been doing well enough. He's been getting by. In my opinion, Lorna Shore are the Shinsuke Nakamura of alternative music. And it hasn't always been that way. It's really just a recent thing. So the band uh, started out with, or I don't think they started out with, but they kind of got their initial rise with Tom Barber on vocals. And Tom Barber has since moved on to Chelsea Green and Darko. And then afterwards, they picked up CJ McCreary, who, yeah, we don't really, really need to go in on that. Um, But after some shit went down with CJ, they were left without a vocalist and... They did have Will Ramos, who is the current vocalist now, on their lineup for a few shows around the the time before the pandemic started, I believe it was, because I do remember seeing live videos with Will on vocals for them. Um, And then throughout the pandemic, there really weren't any kind of updates by Lorna Shore. We didn't really know what was going on with them, if Will was the permanent vocalist. And that all changed in the middle of June 2021 when it was announced Will is the official vocalist of Lorna Shore, and alongside that came To the Hellfire. So to kind of go back to the Shinsuke Nakamura stuff, To the Hellfire is the equivalent to Nakamura versus Sami Zayn. That song dropped and almost my entire perception of Lorna Shore changed because for a long time, I believe they were a good to decent deathcore band, nothing extraordinary. And then To the Hellfire just opened my eyes and my ears and my brain and stimulated all of these deathcore necessities that I had never really... Ever since Suicide Silence with Mitch Lucker had never really had fulfilled or satisfied, per se. Lorna Shore put everything they had into the Hellfire, and it paid off immensely. I do not believe that they reached levels that they're at right now without that song. And in the Top 100 Song series I did last year for Ulterior back in December, To the Hellfire was like fifth or sixth on the list. I really, really, really fucking love To The Hellfire. It's probably like a top 20 song of the decade so far for myself. I listen to it regularly. In my mind, it might be the greatest deathcore song I've ever heard. And the effective nature of To The Hellfire might have ended up, at least in my eyes, being a detriment to Painter Mains. And I really don't like saying that because it gives off this negative connotation. And I do have a few negative things to say about the record. I don't want that to kind of cloud over that score. I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. 
This is still a really, really, really good album. And I think anybody who was like extremely anticipatory of it and extremely fond of Lorna Shore in its current incarnation, I'd imagine they were really happy with this record. The singles rollout for the album, uh, Sun Eater, Into the Earth, and Curse to Die, and I'm singling out those three for a reason. They're all very good. You know, uh, great songs even. Curse to Die especially kind of has like um, some of the character traits and personality traits of Lorna Shore that are more evident than they were on Sun Eater and Into the Earth, just in, in my opinion. But the downside to them is that they didn't do anything to make me believe that this record the material on it could potentially match or even topple to the hellfire. And that totally does sound unfair to say, but it, it was something on my mind and I can't pretend that it wasn't just because of how much I fucking love to the hellfire. Um, the title track for pain remains. It is a three part track. It's the closing stretch on the record. You have uh pain remains one, two, and three. I reviewed parts one and two when they were singles and I said there that while those portions of the title track are good, that three-part series thing, it scared me. And scared is a weird way to phrase it, but it just kind of made me think like, man, I don't really need them to be exploring these kinds of ideas, especially when admittedly there isn't a lot on the three-track or three-part track that differentiates itself from the other material like everything here it has the symphonic stuff it has that like epic almost black metal kind of a flair to it it has the same fucking uh primal screams or whatever by wield almost and i'm gonna say this real quick and it, it's gonna sound like i'm hating on will or lorna i'm really not it's just something that i have to point out if i'm being honest about this review um Will is an exceptional vocalist, like genuinely a fucking megastar of a frontman. I don't need another record cycle for Lona Shore where the selling point is the sounds that he can make. I think it's cool he can make these sounds, but I'm, I've, I've heard it already. Like there's nothing about Will and his screams that I feel is now unexplored by Lona Shore. And most of that's not even on Will or Lorna to begin with. It's on the fan base because you know how many times I've seen on social media platforms the last few weeks about like, oh, at this part of the song, he makes this sound and then this part, he makes this sound and he does this guttural and he does this thing and this thing and this thing. It's like, it's cool that Brody can do that. But at the same time, I kind of want to be an asshole and say like, go to a zoo because they'd be doing that shit there too. Um, the third part of pain remains the title track is one of the lower points of the record in my opinion it's still a good song but it just feels so unnecessary in the nine minute duration of it and i kind of figured that would be the case not to be cynical but it was just something that i looked at and i was like yeah i don't know if i'm gonna vibe with this uh you know it is what it is you know they wanted to make a three-part closing track i'm sure that there are a lot of death core and death metal and black metal fans who eat that shit up and you know all the power to them um here are some of the positive uh, aspects of the record that i can point out as like really really positive the opening song welcome back oh sleeping dreamer so i first heard this record uh while i was working it was during my shift and when that song came on there is a breakdown near the start of it 
And when that I heard that song, or I heard that part of the song, I like just stopped everything. I could not believe what I was hearing. It sounded fucking insane and massive. And it was the exact kind of brutality that I come to Lord and Short for. Um, the rest of the song is just exceptional in my opinion. Uh, there was a song in the middle of the track listing called Soulless Existence. And I gave it a three out of five on social media. So that means I didn't mind the song. And truthfully at the time, yeah, I didn't mind it. Having heard it back a few more times ever since then, I, I, I can't really get into this. I just don't like it. It reminds me of like, if a band such as Ghost were trying Deathcore, I don't like that pacing for Lorna Shore. It's not what I am seeking for from them. It's just not something that I want to hear by Lorna Shore as a fan of theirs. Um, and again, if you like that song, all the power to you. I personally just really think it's got us a mid. Um, the cool thing though is that after Soul's Existence, you get into Apotheosis, which that is, I believe, the shortest song on Pain Remains. And that short duration really helped me remember the strengths of Lorna Shore. And I feel like in some instances, Lorna and a lot of other deathcore bands, they are at their best when they kind of feel rushed because they don't have that seven or eight or nine minute canvas to spread out these ideas. Within four minutes, they get to the point, they make their point, and I am left so fucking satisfied. And truthfully, by the time the record finishes, I am, for the most part, satisfied for that matter. Uh, I think this is an infinitely better album than Psalms and Flesh Coffin. It is for sure in that upper echelon of Lauren Shore's material. Um, I just kind of want to go back to what I said earlier about To the Hellfire. And again, it's probably not fair for me to base this review off of how I felt about To the Hellfire, but when I have that strong of a connection to a song like that, it's hard to shake off that mentality, and it's hard to not think about To the Hellfire while I'm listening to Pain Remains. Um, it's still a good record. Was not my favorite album from last week, not even close. I think that this is a record that will be you know, a hit for the people who are into Lorna Shore. I don't think this is going to turn anybody who is on the fence about them around per se, but it's still a very vital and necessary record. And I'm going to say vital and necessary feel so apropos for the overall state of Lorna Shore right now. Lorna Shore definitely are one of the most important bands the scene has had in a while. And for sure, the most important deathcore band to come around at least since Suicide Silence, in my opinion. Um, I didn't know this until, I believe, like yesterday or two days ago. They're close to a million monthly listeners on Spotify. Um, let me go real quick right now just to check where they're at at this moment in time in the recording. So they are at 925,197, roughly like 75,000 away from a million. That is massive. Like, that is fucking... What the fuck is that? Oh, it's a car. Well, no shit, it's a car. What am I doing? Um, roughly 75,000 away from a million. That is insane. Like, genuinely fucking massive. The thought of a deathcore band getting to a million? Just unfathomable, dog. Like, how? I know how, but still, How? And this is the closest that we as a scene have ever had to 
a deathcore band reaching the mainstream. And you know what? I fucking hope they get there. I want to see them at a million very, very soon. I want them to be in that, like, Sleeping with Sirens, Emotionless and White level of popularity in the modern day scene. They have earned it because they've made all the right moves. They have put out the right songs, even if sometimes they're songs that I'm not so into, per se. They're the right songs for them. They have the right audience. This is the right place and the right time for Lord of Shore to become the superstars of Deathcore. And I think it is important to champion them. It is important to support them. Even if you don't really fuck with them, I strongly encourage you guys to support them because this is a milestone for Deathcore. And it if there's any band out there right now who should be in this spot, it is Lord of Shore. The next album being discussed comes from Outline and Color, and it is Coast is Clear. They have a justifiable case for being able to change their names to Outline and Hoopers because this record is surprisingly sensational. And I say surprisingly, not necessarily because I didn't think Outline and Color could be capable of this, but just because I wasn't so high on the band coming off of the two-part EP Imposter Syndrome. I think the first part clears the second part in every every possible manner. Uh, That portion of the EP had... Uh, Breaking the Silence, and Alibi, and then the name of it's escaping me right now, but the Kaylee Wolf featured song, I I thought those were all incredible. And then the second part, really only Poison Prescribed as Medicine is the song that like stands out to me. The rest of the EP, I cannot recall. I'm sure it was fine, but it's just hard to really, really remember what happened on it or what it sounded like. So... Expectations weren't necessarily so high coming into this record cycle for Outline and Color on my end, and I was very, 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 very quickly just completely proven wrong. Um, the rollout for the album began properly back in July with the release of Quicksand, and Quicksand features Michael Swank from Fox Era and previously Michael Relocate. And I remember hearing it for the first time, and I was thinking like, okay, it's probably going to be a song that I think sounds fine, but maybe won't feel so compelled to get on this microphone and champion to all of you guys. Quicksand is the best outline and color song ever fucking released. There's just something about that song and the way how it channels every possible side to outline and color. You have the heavy side in the verses. You have that really cool melodic side to them in the chorus. Um, Michael's feature later on and just how it feels like so, um, like calming in the midst of this really destructive and chaotic instrumental backing. It is the perfect song for Outline and Color and it is the perfect song to like really segue listeners into what is happening on Coast is Clear. Um, the follow up singles were Do Your Wars featuring Julian from Loveless and Bitter and then Stay Away featuring Benny from Avoid. I don't think that I gave Stay Away the proper amount of love on both social media and this podcast when it dropped. That song is 
exceptionally good. It has a beautiful pacing and atmosphere to it while still being heavy when it needs to be. Um, Do Your Wars fits right into that setting established over the last few years by bands like Bring Me the Horizon and Bad Omens. And obviously, it's a Julian feature that's just going to fucking slap. And Bitter has a really good chorus that can channel both the melodic and heavy sides to Outline and Color at the same time. The title track, Coast is Clear, serves as the opener, and I believe that it perfectly sets the stage for the rest of the record. Songs like Super Ego, Fight Fair, and Bury My Thoughts, what they do is they further establish the prowess that Outland Color has really shown in crafting these enchanting verses mixed in with explosive choruses. Like, these choruses are fucking catchy, and they deliver in a massive way, and I can imagine them just being really euphoric to get to hear live. Um... There's a song on here called Get Free that has almost like a 90s flair to it. It's really done in a way that reminded me a lot of a band like Ocean Grove and the way that they um, go about that kind of a sound. Um, just like a really, um, I guess like a summer festival vibe to its delivery. Um, there is the Chris Roeder featured song Toss to Match, which displays the metalcore side to outline and color very effectively in my opinion. And then the record closes with Ghost of You, which is an older song by this point. I think it dropped like late 2019, early 2020, and it wasn't on any of the Imposter Syndrome stuff. So to be able to bring Ghost of You back from that time period into 2022 and have it be the closer for Coast is Clear, it kind of, it, it's like a bit of a, a full circle moment for Outline and Color in some way, because here's this song from way back then that I probably didn't really give attention to at the time, but now being packaged with these amazing songs, I am getting to kind of relive Ghost of You and understand just how good of a song this is and how amazing it serves as the closer for Coast is Clear. Outline Color showed the fuck up. They went above and beyond to deliver this amazing record that I think a lot of people might just brush off and, you know, maybe not listen to, maybe listen to parts of it and not get to the rest of it. This album is more than deserving of the time of each and every one of you guys. I assure you, if you give Coast Clear a chance, there will be a plethora of content here, material, whatever, for you guys to really sink your teeth into and just you know, be able to appreciate the way that I now appreciate Outline and Color as an entire act. This was amazing. We got a brand new record by Varials. This is Scars for You to Remember. Truthfully, I can't really give too much of like a background story about my attachment to Varials because there really isn't one. Um, I've known about them for a long time now, but the, just to reuse that word, connection, I guess just hasn't really always been there. Um, their 2019 album, In Darkness, I don't think it was bad at all, but just not very memorable in my opinion. And maybe some of that uh, has to do with not necessarily what Varials did on it, but also what was happening in the scene around them at the time, because other bands like Dayseeker, Sea Space Cowboy, Thousand Below, Waterparks, like their albums at that uh, like fall point of 2019, they had my attention. Paris had my attention with their EP. Um, soon thereafter, Bring Me the Horizon was going to grab every bit of my attention with Ludens. There just wasn't really enough time or care on my part to champion burials and in darkness in that manner 
Um, so coming into this record, I don't think that the expectations were necessarily there, but I am going to reiterate what I said about Outline and Color. This was surprisingly excellent. Um, I, I've really, really been able to enjoy the time that I get to spend with Scars for You to Remember over the last few days. And again, it was almost out of nowhere, but at the same time, the singles rollout prepared me for something like this. Um, the first single, The Cycle of Violence Chapter 1, that dropped back in May, and that like immediately set a much more welcoming trajectory for this record cycle for Aerials, as opposed to the stuff that they had done before that, for myself at least. I think that song is absolutely battering and has the right kind of like uncomfortable or eerie nature to metalcore that I think bands can sometimes try to force in a way that isn't very flattering to their sound or their style, but it just suits varials like a fucking glove. It is perfect for them, in my opinion. Um, I would say a lot of those same notions can be applied to 50, which was the second single, and that song continued the upward trend that I believed varials had finally been on. Uh, and the breakdown at the midway point of that song is especially a highlight of the record for myself. Um, Circles was the third single, and with that song came uh, this displaying of a new side of Aerials that I felt was like very unexplored and kind of like just unheard of for them. But I do think that this was the right time for the band to put this kind of a song with clean singing in the chorus out there to put a definitive stamp on just how like forward thinking for their style scars for you to remember would be it was the right time to show this variety because they definitely needed something like that to finish out the singles rollout getting into the rest of the material it's really just hits and if any misses that i will point out it's just kind of minute at large um I think the opening song, A Body Wrapped in Plastic, sets the tone just as it should for this kind of a record, and, like, it's gonna get you in the right headspace and the right frame of mind to enjoy Scars for You to Remember for everything that it brings forth. Um, and, you know, kind of going hand-in-hand with that song and then also the singles, you can rely on the title track and Ritual Division to have that same ferocity that is just going to, at least for myself, further the perception of Varials because up until this point again Varials to me were just a band that exists in the scene I don't necessarily like strongly feel in favor of them or uh, negatively towards them they just kind of existed but with Scars for You to Remember and these kinds of songs the case for them to be superstars in the scene is becoming even greater and more evident in my opinion um there are a few interludes on the album and while they're ultimately harmless I think maybe there's a chance that they disrupt the flow of the album for some people, but maybe not to a great extent. Maybe somebody listening to this album for the first time, it would be startling to them. But for me, it was kind of just like a really, really minor annoyance. And when I say annoyance, it's because like, it's a little bit jarring to have these breaks in between songs if what you're looking for is a nonstop thunderous experience of what is essentially the sonic equivalent to a hot mess. And then the closing song, Halo of the Sun, it's great, but it doesn't, to me, really have like that finale nature that I often like for closing songs to have. And again, just like a weird gripe, if you want to call it a gripe, but that was something that I could point out about 
the conclusion of the record not really being as strong as the opening stretch of it. But overall, scars for you to remember, yeah, I'm going to remember this record. Like, this is a dub for burials. Like, this is such an improvement over where they were prior. And I am in a position now where I am paying attention to what they do. I'm going to be paying attention to the next singles, their set of singles, the next album, next tour package, whatever it is that's coming for burials. My eyes and ears are open now. And the final record for this installment, part one of two, is Dark Bloom by We Came As Romans. So every once in a while, oh, okay, let me start this way instead. There are times where whenever I get on this microphone to review an album, I kind of have to remind myself like, okay, what was this band's last record? What were their last set of singles? What were they last doing? And once in a while, you get a band that I don't need to do that for. And a hundred thousand fucking percent we came as romans is one of those bands we came as romans exists not just in my head but in my heart as well and maybe that's a fucking cheesy thing to say yeah it's cheesy because this fucking train is trying to cut me off right now with its bullshit horn um i'm not gonna let it though because i need to cook about we came as romans um they've been a staple for more than half of my life it feels like uh i remember discovering them around like 2010 and to plant a seed was kind of still brand new and i was a fucking merchant for that style of post-hardcore in the late 2000s early 2010s and you know bands like uh devil Wars prada asking alexandria they were the ones that were like really really popping off at the time and I just kind of felt like We Came As Romans existed as like almost like the hidden gem of all this. They weren't not hidden at all, but to me, it was just like, I am going to hold on to this thing and I know it's going to, you know, be out there into the world someday soon. But for right now, to plant a seed is like my baby. It felt like I would go that summer 2010, just listening to this record every day non-stop it felt like and it, it established this connection between myself and we came as romans that you cannot fabricate you cannot script it was just there and it carried into understanding what we've grown to be and the effective nature of that record just really added on to how strongly in favor i felt about we came as romans a War Inside was my song of the year for 2011. That is still to this day one of the greatest songs I've ever listened to in my life. Considering circumstances of the recent hit past of We Come As Romans that I will get into, it's only even more effective and more impactful, and I'm even more grateful for that song to exist than I was back then. Going from high school to college is a fucking whirlwind of a change beyond a culture shock. And that summer, going into my freshman year of college, Tracing Back Roots dropped, 
And I felt like I had this record with me that I could take with me into this quote unquote brand new world and be okay with it because of Tracing Back Roots. There were songs on that record, like the title track and uh, let, Never Let Me Go, that just infiltrate my brain daily and weekly still to this point. That three record cycle by We Came As Romans is unmatched. It is insane. One of the greatest three record stretches I've ever heard in my life. And that brings us into 2015's Self-Titled. I will not sit here and slander that record because I do not have this strong burning disdain for that album the way that I've seen so many others display in the last seven years. I do not think Self-Titled is bad at all. Is it as good as the other three records? No. Fuck no. Not at all. But it's not bad. Okay? Blur, Savior of the Week, um, The World I Used to Know, heaters. Legitimate fucking heaters. Those songs are great. There are plenty of good songs on that record. It's just kind of a jarring change to go from, you know, those three records into self-titled, and I understand that. And it's also understandable why We Came As Romans kind of had like a chip on their shoulder going into Code Like War in 2017 and how theoretically this band should not have had anything to prove, but because of self-titled and the crowd reaction to it, they had something to prove. And they came forward with Wasted Age and the title track Code Like War, Lost in a Moment, Foreign Fire, just they were on top of the fucking world again, it felt like. They had found what they seemingly lost and maybe gained something new that could have propelled them into, I don't want to say like Sleeping with Sirens or Bring Me the Horizon level, but like, they had a real shot, I felt like, coming off a of cold like war. And that's not the trajectory that the universe or um, divine powers had for what happened. So... um from their inception up until 2018, We Came As Romans had two vocalists, um, Dave Stevens and Kyle Pavone. For the most part, Dave was a screamer and Kyle was the clean vocalist. In August of 2018, Kyle passed away. And I can remember where I was when I found out about it. It was a Saturday morning. I had just been, or I just came back home from my mom and I had my lunch with me in my room and I was eating it and I just scrolled on Twitter and saw a headline that said, We Kim's Roman's vocalist, Kyle Pavone, has died. And you are never prepared for that stuff. It doesn't matter how often it happens. It is still just deeply cutting every time it does. And with Kyle, it was so just like... Or I don't want to put it to just Kyle because with anybody, it's unfathomable, but... Like, when it happened to Kyle, it was just like, what do you mean he's dead? Like, that doesn't compute in any possible fashion. It doesn't make any sense. And that's the thing about death. That's the thing that I've had to learn about it. It doesn't make sense. You're not prepared for it. But it happens. It's inevitable. And when it happens to somebody who you looked up to and idolized, it hurts really really fucking hurts and at that point the last thing on my mind is what is going to happen with the band because you know they lost a, a loved one i will 
never, ever, ever, ever have a bad thing to say about We Came as Romans because of how they handled Kyle's passing and how they still proceeded to go on tour. I believe it was a Bullet for My Valentine tour that fall. And it was something they didn't need to do. Nobody would have blamed them for dropping off that tour and taking the time that they needed for themselves to grieve and mourn. But they chose live music as an outlet for doing just that, for grieving and mourning and letting fans have a space where they can do that together. That is legitimately fucking beautiful. I know I meme a lot on this shit, guys, but like, I mean everything that I'm saying right now about We Came as Romans. They are amazing. Amazing musicians, amazing people. I will never, ever have any bit of slander to provide towards the members of We Came as Romans. 13 months after Kyle's passing, they had a double single of Carry the Weight and From the First Note. Carry Their Weight, I think, having now heard Dark Bloom, it bridges the gap between Cold Like War and Dark Bloom and kind of shows more of the stylistic nature of where the band would be headed. And then From the First Note, at least in my mind, was kind of a bit of a throwback to what they've been doing on To Plant a Seed, Understanding What We're Going to Be, and Tracing Back Roots. And the way that that song pays homage to Kyle with his actual sampling from To Plant a Seed in that song when he says, from the first note, it was powerful. It was so fucking powerful. And I felt every possible emotion you could hear in that song for the first time. And, you know, times thereafter, We Came as Romans... They were ready to proceed into the new decade, you know, recovering from what had happened. And in some ways, again, the universe did what it does and just throws plans off because the pandemic happened and we came as Romans. They would have probably released this album a lot sooner had all that shit not gone down. But, you know, whatever. At this point, we have the record. It finally happened. And that's all that really, really matters right now. So... The rollout for Dark Bloom, it went on for what felt like a really, really long time. Uh, the Tatter Truck was the first single, and that released back in July of 2021. And hearing Dark Bloom back then, it showed a more modern metalcore style with some electronic elements fused in. And to me, that was a really cool way to carry We Came as Roman's sound into this day and age while acknowledging where they came from in their early years and how that stuff was also very electronic influenced. Um, Black Hole, it features Caleb Shoma from Beartooth, and that song has a more accessible style that gave Dave a platform to really show off his range with clean vocals. Um, the third single thereafter was Dagger featuring 0936. That song took the electronic metalcore style that I've been mentioning into a more aggressive direction, and I really admired that track back then, and getting to hear it as part of the full album Dark Bloom, it kind of let me relive that track and rediscover my adoration for it. Um, Plagued. So, that song has some of the energy that I pointed out with Black Hole and the accessible nature to it, and to me... Those kinds of songs are really necessary for this record and to kind of just allow We Came as Romans this varied canvas to really show off the ideas that they've had and what they have been, you know, I guess cooking up for the last three years. Uh, Golden. So that was the final single as part of the rollout. And to me, it was the best way to close that section of the album buildup in preparation for the full thing because 
Golden really shaped the print that Kyle has left on the members. Lyrically, it is beautiful and it really spells out what I mentioned earlier about the effect that death has on us. Looking at the non-single material for Dark Bloom, uh, the song One More Day. I really, really do regret omitting that from Scenic Overlook. That song, you know, following up Golden is so daunting to think about because of what One More Day is about and the way that it gets across its concept instrumentally. But it passes by while we were dreaming. I swear I asked you a thousand times. Always said you're fine, but you were sinking. Deeper and deeper, you faded again. And time after time, I would reach for your hand. Would this be different if you could have let me in? Let me in. It's these moments where the members of We Came As Romans allow themselves to be really vulnerable when it comes to talking about Kyle. That's where Dark Bloom really, really, really shines. And it's exactly what I was hoping to get out of the record, and I'm glad that the members were able to take what has happened to them and channel it into these really beautiful tracks. So after that, you get a three-song stretch of Double Speak, The Anchor, and Holding the Embers. That stretch really gives We Came As Romans this space to like, kind of just be a metalcore band and to really showcase more of their abilities and i really think that was necessary for the album because you know for as much as the album is about kyle and for as much influence that kyle had on it the members need to proceed to the future that's just the way that you know the afterlife on earth works i guess and then promise you the final song from looking at the track list, I already knew Promise You was going to be some really, really gutting shit. Yeah, I know, Historia. She just kind of groaned in the background in the restroom. Um, so for anybody hearing this who may not know, the last Rekim is Romans album before Dark Bloom, Cold Like War, there was a song on there called Promise Me. Is a very slow song, up to this point, the slowest song the band had ever made. And there is a line on there called, or there's a line on there that says, Will I be remembered or will I be lost in loving eyes? That was the second to last tweet that Kyle made while he was alive. And Promise Me really took on a life of its own after he was gone. It kind of became like a new signature song for We Came As Romans in a way because of the attachment that it now had to the end of Kyle's life and getting to hear Promise You, we learned details about Kyle's passing that they did not, the members did not need to share. Like they could have kept all this themselves, but they allowed this space to kind of let the listener in on what was happening towards the end. You said you weren't in any pain on the day you passed away or your week before your coma, begging that you just come home and I can see your smile again. Anything to numb that pain that I've been living in, a room of family and friends crying on each other because we're all so broken. And to add on to that, Promise You is just a beautiful fucking song. It is exactly what 
it should have been, it is the most heartfelt and touching tribute that they could have possibly made for Kyle. It is perfect. It is one of the best closing songs I have heard all year. It's not going to leave my mind anytime soon. It is the best possible way to close the album. Um, what I will say about Dark Bloom is that the record is, I don't want to say still growing on me, but it's still an album that I don't know if I have my final opinion on it yet. And that's a little bit antithetical to, you know, the whole point of posting a review with a score on it. It felt unfair to score this record right now because it's very different from prior albums for obvious reasons. It's not the same. And I don't want that to be looked at as a good or a bad thing from my perspective. I just want to take the time right now to acknowledge that Dark Bloom is an album that, you know, I'm going to need to spend more time with to really decide. And the only reason that the score came out for a 9 out of 10 and the only reason that the review is happening right now is because I kind of needed to because of what this podcast and platform entail. But Dark Bloom is going to take some time. And it's going to take time for a lot of reasons. And I, I think the way that I want to close up the review is just to say this, uh, you know, regarding Kyle's second to last tweet. Will I be remembered or will I be lost in loving eyes? Brother, you are remembered. And you will always be remembered by everybody that you touched. Because you were and are fucking tremendous. And that's, actually, that's not it. It's just kind of it. I still have to put out part two of this episode, and that is going to have the reviews for Sleeping Sirens, Poppy, Boston Manor, and Boundaries. If you can hear a cat eating behind me, just let it be. I do not feel like asking him to stop because that is fucked up. Um, So yeah, just check out part two whenever that's uploaded. If it's already up, then please proceed to that one. If you have the time, I encourage you, please, 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 please have the time. Uh, I need clicks. I need views. I need streams. I need, I need everything because one day this will be my job and I want you guys to help me get my money up right now. It's very, very vital. So, uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Um, I hope you all enjoyed this partial chapter, partial episode. Um, thank you for listening. I hope you, I said all that right now. What the hell? It's late guys. I'm delusional. Thanks for listening. For better or worse, let's make a scene.